Remain standing, if you would, as we open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews, chapter number 6. And as we have seen time and time again, this letter uh, written to the Hebrews is written like a sermon. And so our uh, text at present actually gives a very good example, a good demonstration of just how this uh, was written like a sermon. And so when we read the book of Hebrews, it's it's good, uh, a good practice to get into uh, the habit of reading things the way they were written. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Paul, when he wrote the book of Galatians, didn't write chapter 1, send it in, then chapter 2, send it, he wrote the whole book, and so forth and so on. Same is true here, the book of Hebrews. And so it's, it's good practice for us. I've, I've often thought about it. Just read the entire book of Hebrews, and then let's go home. Um, but, I, you know, for understanding's sake, we're commanded to study. And so we're going to study this passage. And so, as can often happen, uh, the preacher knows that there would be some who would have taken uh, his previous comments in chapter 6 offensively and maybe approached them defensively. And so, here we find ourselves in uh, verses uh, 9 through 12 uh, with the writer of Hebrews giving sort of a little bit of salve to the wound that he just inflicted. Let's start reading in verse number 1, please, for context's sake. Hebrews chapter number 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burnt. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Father, bless now we pray the reading of your word to our hearts and to our minds. Help us, Lord, to surrender to what you would have us to do. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I said that this portion that we're going to be looking at today, uh, I've kind of given it a little bit of a title of the voice of maturity 
or maybe we can even say it this way, the voice found in maturity. Not immaturity, but in, I-N, maturity. Uh, as I stated, there are many times that uh, the words of a preacher can be taken the wrong way. Uh, I, was, I had a meeting with the uh, children's workers this morning, and I informed them there are two types of teachers, those that have and those that will be misunderstood. And there are so many times that uh, when you preach a message, uh, it's difficult to cover every single facet of a mindset that is sitting amongst us. And so what we have to do is we have to do the best that we can to, uh, uh, to convey the truth that we are looking into as far as Scripture is concerned. And so the, uh, the writer of Hebrews understands this as well, and as he's making his way through, in chapter 5, he begins talking about the idea of immaturity and maturity. He goes back to uh, uh, chapter, uh, chapter number 5, verse number 11. He tar- starts talking about uh, he'd like to say a lot of things, but he can't, seeing as ye are dull of hearing or you have, uh, you have developed lazy listening skills. And so he then has to go into discussing maturity and immaturity and how the child of God needs to grow in this, uh, uh, in this area and maturity, become more and more mature. And then in chapter 6, he gets into the first few verses. He starts saying things that we need to move beyond. He says, laying aside or leaving the principles of. He's not saying that they're not important. Let's turn our back on them. He's saying we need to progress forward from this. Let's not remain where we are. It's time for us to grow in our spiritual understanding. And he says, so since we move beyond these things, and then he gets into verses 4 through uh, 9, which uh, uh, the end of that little break kind of comes in at verses 8 and 9. Uh, that, uh, or I'm sorry, verses 7 and 8, it gives like a little parallel, uh, a little parable, so to speak, of what he's trying to uh, help them to understand about the ones that uh, maybe do not truly know Christ as their Savior. And he even says there in verse 7, he says, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. And so he lays it out that there are two different types of um, of fields, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that there are many times where uh, we understand this uh, as there, there comes a day where some things just need to be done away with. And I don't know about you, but I, I am, uh, when you get your kids that come, you know, they, they have their favorite toy or what have you, and usually it's the cheapest thing that came out of a McDonald's Happy Meal. You know, you've spent $8,000 on toys, but what do they like? They like the free one that came in the Happy Meal. And so they come to you because it's broken, and Dad can fix anything, right? And so they bring to Dad their broken toy, and after the 58th time that you have super glued that thing together, and you are just, now just put it on your shelf and let it sit there and just look at it. You know, that's not going to happen. And so there comes a time where we just have to accept that it's, it's not worth anything. And so the writer of Hebrews unveils this when he goes into the idea of the impossibility. And, and there's a statement that I made last week that kind of tied everything in 
And the statement was simply this, it is impossible to be renewed should this type of a thing happen, so examine yourself honestly. And so many times in a message, just as what we find right here, someone can walk away from that with complete and utter misunderstanding of what's being said. And if you'll notice in that statement that it is, it is impossible to be renewed should this happen, should someone actually turn their back on Christ. Now, you'll notice that in that statement, I also said, so examine yourself. You see, so often we come to these things and our defensive mechanism starts to kick in and you start to dig heels and say, are you saying that I'm not? Are you saying that my son is not? It's not at all what I said. What I said is that there is an impossibility for people who are truly born again by the Spirit of God to not desire spiritual growth and maturity. There has to be this desire. It is impossible for me to turn my back on everything that Christ has to offer and still find my way to heaven. That's an impossibility. The only way to God is through his son's shed blood. The only way, not by what prayer you read on the back of a track, not by what you may have said to some Sunday school teacher some 58 years ago or whatever it was. That's not what gets you taken care of. What gets you taken care of and what gets you a relationship with God is Jesus Christ. And for us to turn our back on what he has done and embrace what we can do ourselves or do our own thing or completely reject him, it is impossible for that individual to find their way in a relationship with God. It's not a possibility. And the issue is not whether that babe bouncing baby boy is okay or not. The issue is, do you truly know Christ as your Savior? It's kind of like someone on an airplane, the flight attendants will come across the radio from time to time, and they'll say, in case of an emergency, masks will fall from the ceiling. Be sure to put yours on before you try to help someone else. Because what's going to happen is if you don't get yours on and that cabin pressure is letting all the oxygen out and you're busy struggling to try to get this on and you're panicking and the stress is kicked in and you're, and then you hyperventilate, guess what? You're out and they're out their mask. But if you take your time to put yours on and get it on successfully, then you can rightly help this individual over here. And so before we start examining everybody else over here, we need to examine ourselves. Before we start worrying about whether or not this person over here's got it under control, we need to make sure we know Christ personally. You can't help them get a mask on when you're gasping for breath. When I was a teenager, a group of us went uh, on an outing, and we were uh, we were float fishing and waiting and everything. And a bunch of the guys were going, and all the girls were off on those. It was a youth a youth outing, like a youth camp type of a situation. And one of the boys thought it would be funny to get in the creek 
and act like he was drowning. And you know, you ever read uh, Aesop's Fables, Boy Who Cried a Wolf? This is a situation just like that. Well, there was another young man in our group who had a heart of gold, dove in after him, and he couldn't swim. There's a lot of people with a heart of gold haven't learned how to swim themselves yet. He ends up in the water, and now we had to have a third individual get in to go get him out and then flick the kid on the head that was being a goober. Caused more issue than help. We come, though, with all of this in mind, to an interesting few verses. Notice what he says at the very beginning of verse 9. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. I want you to notice the preacher's reassurance in this. You see, the preacher, has uh, he uses this endearing term as he now shares uh, his heart with him. It's that term agapetas, which is loved one, my beloved, my, the ones that I care about, the ones I am concerned for. So I want you to realize that, yes, he does, he does shame and chastise them on their lack of maturity. Yes, he does warn them to examine their salvation, but then he follows make sure they know why he is warning them, why he is correcting them, because I love you. I don't want you to remain in this immature state. I want the absolute best for you. I desire for you to grow. I desire for you to get closer to God. I desire for you spiritual maturity. But then it's it's inevitable that someone somewhere along the line is going to say, well, who do you think you are to want that for me? Maybe I don't want that. And then you hear every born-again Christian's heart break. I'm okay, preacher, just being a so-so Christian. Anybody enjoying the Olympics right now? You all enjoy watching the Olympics? I haven't really watched any of the Olympics this year. I'll be honest with you. I just, I haven't. Just kind of haven't. I'm not anything against it, but I just kind of want to use it as as an example. What would you think of some of our Olympic athletes stepping out and when the microphone was placed in front of them, they, they were asked by the, by the uh, 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 interviewer, the press said, what is it that you're hoping to achieve? And they said, 15th place. Huh? Ah, just my dream has always been to go to the Olympics and place 15th. So you're aiming for mediocrity? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll never be a gold medalist. <laughs> I, just, I just want to come in right in the middle somewhere. No. He's just like Paul said, he says, I run to win. There's only one gold medal. But why would I go in up against 30 individuals saying, I hope I come in right in the center? There's a lot of Christians today happy with being mediocre at best. And that ought never be the case. 
And so with that idea of the impossibility, I want us to go back, I want us to look at the question that needs to be examined here, and that's basically this, who really needs to be warned? Who really needs to be warned? Oftentimes, we come to a passage such as this, and we think of someone else who needs to hear it. And can I just be very honest and candid with you for a moment? That is not the voice of maturity. I wish so-and-so was here right now. They could really use with this sermon. They, oh, I wish they, hadn't, they, I wish they showed up today. They really needed to hear that sermon. No, 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 my friend. You need it. I need it. And so the question, who really needs to be warned, comes into play. And as you see the preacher's reassurance here, the preacher's heart is shown. And I want you to understand, uh, the preacher's heart should never be to guilt people into living by his standard. However, he should also not coddle people into their uh, um, comfort levels. The preacher has a desire and has a heart to encourage people along to excellence. The preacher should have this desire, should have this heart. You know, my, my former pastor used to always say, he'd say, you never use this as a whipping post, but as a spur. We don't whip people into shape. We nudge them along. We encourage them. We coax them. We don't want to, uh, this is what I do, and it's what you need to do too. Heavens no. Please understand something. I'm the worst role model you can have. He's the best. And the direction that we point is to him and to excellence. Now, not only does the preacher have a heart that's revealed in this, but also in that you will have the hearer's heart. So the hearer themselves, they need to guard that they do not have immature attitudes in the, uh, in the process of the preacher's loving corrections. This is what he's saying here. He says in verse number seven, or I'm sorry, verse number nine, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. And so this is one of those, uh, one more evidence where I believe that he was talking in the previous verses about people who do not know Christ as their Savior. I don't believe it's people who once knew him and lost their salvation. He's talking about people who perhaps think they know him, but have no true knowledge of Christ. And so he comes here in verse 7, he says, we hope things better for you, things that accompany salvation. He's been talking about maturity. He's been talking about spiritual growth. And this is what accompanies salvation. In other words, if someone's truly born again by the Spirit of God, you will mature. It's a thing that must happen. If I am not maturing, if I am rejecting maturity, if I have no desire to grow, how can I truly say that there's salvation when there's nothing that accompanies it? If anybody ever goes to the fast food restaurants and they order the value meal. You know the value meal, right? And then they say, would you like that medium or large? Whatever happened to small? Yeah. <laughs> so just give me the bucket. 
That's okay. But what comes with the value meal, right? You get your burger, you get your fries, and you get your drink. And so if you said, I will take the number eight, please, and then they hand you a bag with just a burger, there's no fries, no drink. You going to be happy with that? No. You're going to say, I didn't get the value meal. Even though I ordered the value meal, I didn't get the value meal. Why is it that in Christianity, when we ask for salvation, but there's no sanctification coming alongside it, there's no spiritual growth happening, there's no maturity taking place, we're okay with coming up short in that area, we get what we think we have, but we never got the things that accompanied it. Every single one of us would, well, most of us anyway, some of you all are shy, I understand that, I'm not. If I pay for it, I want it. I have no problem going back around and through that drive through again. Excuse me, madam. You left out the rest of my fat. I would like it, please. So we need to understand the things that accompany salvation. And so the preacher's heart is, again, not to guilt. The hearer, though, must guard themselves against this immature attitude. You see, for example, maturity welcomes correction. Immaturity rejects correction. Immaturity has no desire to be told what they're doing wrong, no desire to learn from their mistakes, no want of it. I mean, how many times uh, uh, do you have someone when they're first coming on the job site and it's, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what you all do for a living. Some of you all do some really interesting things. I swung a hammer. That's what I did. And so I would get on the roof or I'd get up, we'd be framing a house or something, and you'd get this one kid. What is the famous saying that they always say when you say, hey, you need to go do this? I know. If you know, then why didn't you? I was, I know. But you didn't do it. I know. Well, this is how it needs to be done correctly. I know you're not getting a paycheck. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) This is where we need to kind of capture some things. Maturity welcomes that warning. Even when delivered in a not-so-tactful manner. You know what it's like when when you have kids, they start playing, and one of them does something, the other one trumps what they just did, and next thing you know, Dad! he did this yeah well she did that well he did this first yeah but she said that about me and but that and they go back and forth right maturity isn't so quick to go with the tete-a-tete is it maturity welcomes this uh this idea and sometimes even when someone does something very tactless and they correct you maturity doesn't Throw away the correction because the tactless is the one that delivered it. Maturity will hear, process, well, they were a jerk when they said it to me, but they're right. Uh, They probably could have said it a different way, but they're right. The immature spits it back in their face. Well, who do you think you are to tell me? Who do you think you are? You're not perfect either, you know. And so the hearer needs to guard themselves on this. 
And love, true love, cares and desires the best for people. And so again, another evidence where he says we are persuaded better things of you. I want you to understand something. While no one can know the spiritual state of another, we can see evidences. You will never know whether or not I am truly born again by the Spirit of God. You only have evidences. I will never know your personal condition. Look, all the disciples thought Judas was one of them. They were blown away when he was the one that betrayed. Rocked their world. They all questioned themselves before they questioned Judas. You remember that? Someone's going to betray me. Is it me? They were shocked. And so here it is in a nutshell. The only person that you can be sure of is yourself. But what are you basing it on? Are you basing it on something that you said? Or are you basing it on a life that was changed? That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across. So let's take a look at the evidences here. Notice verse number 10. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Notice what he says there, that God is not unrighteous to forget. You know, I'd like to point this out very quickly. Never forget that God sees all your works. Never forget that. My friend, this can be a warning, but it can also be one of the greatest encouragements that you will ever understand. To the little old lady who who wonders if God has forgotten about her, no. To the widower who's sitting off to the side wondering, has God, is he through with me? No. To the individual who has, who has retired and is, feels that they have nothing left to give. They have been, they have been used up. Does God, is, is he done with you? No, because God is not unrighteous to forget your labor, your work, your things that you have done for him. We often only equate works and labor with what other people see. (laughs) But he sees it all. That day that your husband was acting unlovingly, and yet you showed respect to him because you wanted to worship God Instead of retaliate, God sees that. When your wife is nagging and you want to start ripping her apart, and yet you remember, husbands love your wives, and you bite your lip, you keep yourself from saying the things that you really want to say because at that moment you want to worship God and not respond in a, in a Christ-dishonoring manner. 
God sees that. I love the story of the widow's mite. As Jesus is sitting there watching people throwing wads of money in, and the widow takes her two little coins, nonchalantly drops them in the tray. Oh, did he get excited. Peter, hey, 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 did you see that? (laughs) That's my girl. That's my girl. She gave more than everybody because she gave it to me. While everybody else was throwing their big wad of money in the horns, letting everybody else hear, she just dropped hers in out of worship. And so never forget that God sees all of your works and He knows your heart. That's where the warning comes in. Are you doing it for men's applause? Are you serving Him to try to pay Him back for salvation? Are you serving Him so that people can see that you're a changed individual and you want to make sure that they know? Are you serving Him because... I don't know, that little girl on the front row might see me serving him. Or are you doing it because you love the Lord? I want you to look back with me, or actually look forward with me in Revelation chapter 2. And let's draw a a little bit of a parallel here. Revelation chapter number 2. And if you've ever studied the uh, churches of Asia, uh, you, you kind of get this sense that there are certain uh, certain churches that kind of got their hands smacked and certain churches that got uh, an encouragement. And uh, Ephesus kind of comes in, and we remember that this is one of the ones that got their hands smacked, right? But I want you to notice something, because uh, if you get to one, if you only read the first portion of it, you think, man, this church is doing everything right. Notice, notice what is said here. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. That sounds like a pretty good church. If we just stopped right there, I think everybody would be happy to join a church just like that one. But then, verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And many people, they want to dispute and discuss and debate over what the first love is. Can I just... Jesus... Well, no, the first love is evangelism, door knocking, soul winning. Is uh, No, 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 no. Jesus. In other words, they were doing all these great things, but they weren't doing them with the heart of serving Christ. And so now we make our way again back here in Hebrews chapter 7. And everything that we do, verse 10, notice what it says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward His 
name. That's where we focus. It says that they did it, they served, they served the saints, and they continue to serve the saints. Now, the second thing to note is that the preacher does not refer to a profession that they made, but to evidences and actions that he can speak of. He never once says, <clears throat> All, um, but, but I know when you were 15, you prayed this prayer, and so you're okay. No, he says, I am thinking better things of you because of what I see from you. I am persuaded better things are going to come from you because of the evidences that you are exhibiting, not because of something that you say, not because you wear a T-shirt or you've got something on the back of your car that lets everybody know that you're a follower of Christ, but because of what you actually do and how your life is evident of someone who truly believes. That's a beautiful thing. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute because we're going to close all this up. There are two things that are abundantly clear in Scripture. There's more than that, but I'm just going to give you these two to tie into the message. Number one, salvation, justification, is by faith in Christ alone. To be justified... It is only Jesus Christ that brings this about. Only his blood, only his sacrifice, only what he did. If you're trusting in anything else, my friend, you're not saved. Number two, justifying faith produces a life of faithful action. Hebrews 2, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so I want you to see the encouragement that is coming from the heart of the preacher here. He is encouraged by their life of loving service to God and their work verifying what they're claiming. I am so thankful, preacher. I'm so thankful for our church. How you can, you can hear a lot of people saying that they love God, but then there's times where you see it. <laughs> there's a lot of people that tell me they love Jesus but you don't see it. And so as a pastor, can I just say I'm encouraged, but don't stop. Pursue it more and more. And so looking at the heart of the message as we make our way to the end here. So often a message comes in a difficult term. Sometimes it's hard to swallow. Some of these statements are difficult. In John chapter 6, his disciples even said it. Who can, who can, who can take this? This is a difficult saying. Who can, who can understand it? But evidences in a person will speak louder. And the heart of the message is never to live like I am, 
but I want you to see. Go to the book of Matthew with me, if you would. Matthew chapter number 4. And I want you to notice where the heart really comes into play. Matthew chapter number 4. And I'm not going to read the entire thing. I'm just going to kind of peruse through this. Apologize, I wrote the wrong passage down. Give me just a minute. Forgive me. I'm going to take a bathroom break. Four, or 13, I'm sorry. I don't know where 4 came from. Matthew chapter 13. Same day, Jesus went out the house, sat by the seaside. Great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into the ship and sat, and a whole multitude stood on the shores, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell in the stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up, because they had no deepness of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but other fell on into good ground and brought forth fruit, some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as you move forward, the disciples start to discuss things. They couldn't understand it. Look at verse 13 with me. Uh, actually, verse number 14. And in them... Uh, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah by saying, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall perceive and shall not uh, shall see and not perceive. Drop down and let's see the ex explanation. Verse number 18, he says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receiveth the seed by the wayside. He that receiveth the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet he hath no root in himself, but endureth for a while, and when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the world, uh, because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth fruit, some an hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. I wanted to take us back to this parable of Jesus because generally speaking, when we read this passage, here's what we focus on. We focus on the different types of soil the seed, God lets us know, is the Word of God, and the soil are the people hearing. 
and we look at those and we try to figure out how many of those different types of soil are truly saved. And we'll, people will argue, well, this one was saved because it says that they received the work. This one was saved because it says they took, but then they had fruit, but then they quit producing fruit. This one over here isn't saved. And so some will say that two are, two are actually saved. Some will say that only one is actually saved. Some will say that three are saved. Some will say all of them were saved. It's just different levels of Christianity. Can I let you know that that is the smokescreen of the true heart of this passage? Let me give you what Jesus was trying to encourage. Not arguing over whether or not that person that you know who doesn't produce fruit but prayed a prayer once upon a time, they're just this ground over here. The point is for each and every person who claims to be born again by the Spirit of God to desire to be the good ground to have a desire to be the good soil that produces much fruit. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, maturity should be something that you desire, should be something that you hope for. Producing fruit should be something that you want to do. Producing much fruit should be something that you can't wait to have in your life. And so I want you to understand, not only do the evidences in a person's life speak louder than verbal professions, but the heart of the message is for people to examine themselves and inspect not only how much fruit they used to have, but what kind of fruit in their life they still have, and do they have a desire to produce any more? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Beloved, I'm expecting good things from you. Things that accompany salvation. You see, much of today is filled with lazy attitudes, especially when it comes to our Christian walk. Anyone who is truly born again by the Spirit of God should have a desire to produce fruit, should be producing fruit, and should reject laziness in spiritual things. Should reject laziness altogether. It's just not a good testimony for a child of God to be lazy. So what about you? It's time to make it time to make it personal. It's time to take inventory of yourself. Don't take inventory of someone else right now. Take the Bible as a mirror. Do you, does your life show assurance of salvation? Not 10 years ago, today, does your life reveal assurance of salvation? The last verse that we read, that ye be not slothful in followers, who through them, through faith and patience, inherit the promises? Are you one of those that will inherit the promises? Verse 11, we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence, the fullness of the assurance of hope 
Is there enough evidence in your life? Not simply your words, but your life. The people you work with. Would they be surprised to hear you say, I'm a child of God? You? I've heard you. I've watched you. Your family? Your social interactions? The people at the baseball field? Would they be surprised to find out you're a child of God? Isn't it Sunday? Don't you all have church on Sunday? Yeah, but is there enough evidence? Second, have you embraced laziness? Have you embraced laziness? Have you become a lazy Christian? Listen, people say all the time, Christianity is not easy. Can I let you know something? Following Christ is not the difficult thing. It's not, the Christian life is not hard. Saying no to me is. And Jesus said it this way, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, then take up your cross and follow me. If you get the denying yourself portion of it, saying no to what you want and what you think is better, saying no to the world, what you got left to do but follow him. And so the Christian life itself is not the difficulty. It's learning how to say no to you that is. And so who needs this message? Do you need it? Do you need the message of the book of Hebrews that Christ is better? No matter what you try, Christ is better. No matter what else the world has to offer, Christ is better. A Christian desires maturity. Do you need that message? My friend, the mature welcomes any help that can be given. The immature says, no, thank you. I don't need it. What have you proven to yourself recently? Father, I truly believe that I presented what you wanted me to present. So, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would now do with this what you and you alone can do. And that is to convict hearts and to change lives. Father, I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.